Praise the living God. All right. Revelation chapter 5. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written uh, within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, or living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four uh, living creatures and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Wow. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb. Let's say that together. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power. And he saith unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Preacher Larry, would you pray for us this morning? Lord, we pray. Amen. Now, the first thing we see, John says, I saw. John's an eyewitness to these things. The right hand is a symbol of power and authority. The one sitting on the throne is God Almighty. We talked about him in chapter 4. The emphasis on chapter 5 is on the Lamb. And there's a book. Uh, the Greek word is biblion. We might think of it as a scroll, not as a book as we, we think of it. But this is no ordinary scroll. Uh, it's written on the front and the back, and it's sealed with seven 
seals. So let's go to the first slide. Let's go to slide number one. And let's talk about this scroll. We see that it was uh, sealed with seven seals. Now there's a lot of uh, conjectures about what the, the scroll is. Uh, Ezekiel had a similar book and it was a catalog of judgments in Ezekiel 2. Um, and it was written on the front and the back. Also, the Ten Commandments were written on the front and the back. Um, Revelation 10 says that when this scroll is open, uh, when, when all is finished, the mystery of God is finished. So it's prophetic revelation. You know, without the book of Revelation, we don't know what happens to the devil. Right? Without the book of Revelation, we don't know what happens to the earth. I saw where a church, local church... Uh, was touting the fact that they were having an Earth Day worship service. I don't know what that's all about. Maybe they hadn't read the book of Revelation, that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. So I don't lay up at night worried about my carbon footprint. or my, you know, I don't have an SUV, but I, if I did, I wouldn't worry about it too much, about it destroying the universe. God's in control of the world. And uh, Okay, enough of that, Henry. Um, but it reveals, it's also a testament. Uh, Roman wheels were sealed with seven seals. Hebrews 9 talks about the fact that a, a, a testament is a force after the death of the testator. And Jesus Christ died on that cross. And when he died on that cross, that New Testament was fully uh, uh, enacted. And we are uh, enjoying the benefits of it. And Talisha, I just, that song was just great. Singing about the, the redemption of the Lamb. Hallelujah. And I didn't know you could sing that high. I didn't know you could hit those notes. And I thought, is she going to get there? And you did. You exceeded my expectations. Praise be unto God. Hallelujah. It's a testament. But it's also a deed. Uh, it's also, uh, I believe, the title deed to, uh, to planet Earth. Go with me to Psalm 2. Psalm number 2. Adam, we'll pick on you this week. We'll give James a break. Now, Psalm 2 describes the, uh, the fact that, God, that there's a king. And, and Psalm 2 tells us that God has a son. Y'all knew that already, though, didn't you? But that was in the Old Testament, that God had a son. Okay. Now, how the Jews missed it, I don't know. But, uh, but how do I miss half of what I miss? You know? but, but anyway, Psalm 2 tells us that God has a son. Just go ahead and read that whole psalm. Would you read Psalm 2? Yes. It's so good. Messianic psalm. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth have set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break the bonds in pieces and cast away the cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh and the Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in this wrath. In his wrath and distress them in deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you, and the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. 
when he's when his wrath is kindled but a little blessed are those who put their trust in him Revelation. God is giving Jesus Christ the title deed to planet Earth, and uh, we're going to see some, some marvelous things. Now, the idea of the right, the, the right of redemption is a theme throughout the Old Testament. Uh, and whenever someone sold land, uh, an Israelite sold land, it was always sold with the right of redemption. That if the person fell on hard times, somebody in the family could come back and, and redeem it. So that's the theme uh, throughout the Old Testament, and, and we see that in play here, too. Uh, I believe, and also the, uh, the idea of a kinsman redeemer, a goel in Hebrew. Now, um, go with me to Jeremiah 32. Most commentators see here a uh, correlation with Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah 32, Adam, I'll put you to work again when you get there. Um, read verses 6 through 15. Jeremiah 32, 6 through 15. And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanimal, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you, saying, Buy my field, which is from Anath, and the right of the redemption is yours to buy. You said, to what? Uh, sorry. Through 16, I think. Okay. 15, I'm sorry. Then Hanimal, his uncles, came to him in the court of the prison, according to the word of the Lord, and said to me, Please buy my field that is in Anath, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of your inheritance is yours, and the redemption yours, buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field from Hanuel and the son of his uncle who was in Anath, and weighed out to him in the money seventeen shekels of silver. And I signed the deed and sealed it, took witnesses, and weighed the money on the scales. So I took the purchase deed, both of which was sealed according to the law and the custom, and that which was open. And I gave the purchase deed to Barak, the son of Neri, son of Messiah, and prince of Hanum, the uncle's son, in the presence of the witnesses who signed the purchase deed before all the Jews who sat in the court of the prison. Then I charged Barak before them, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take the deeds, both this purchase deed which is sealed and the deed which is open, and put them in the earthly vessel, that they may, that they may have many last days. For thus says the Lord of the hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in the land. All right, thank you. So in, unless you, you may not know what's going on here, uh, Jerusalem is about to fall to Babylon. Uh, they're going to be carried away captive. And uh, Jeremiah is, the, is prophesying about, about this. Now, God tells Jeremiah, he says, your, your uncle's son is coming. I guess that'd be your first cousin, wouldn't it? Um, if my math is right or my genealogy is right. But, but anyway, he says, your uncle's son is coming, and he's going to sell you a piece of land, and I want you to buy it. And Jeremiah is in prison, but he buys the land. Now, why would he, why would he buy land if the land is fixing to fall to Babylon? Well, it's because it, it was, a, it was a, uh, an expression of faith that one day the Jews would go back and possess what was rightfully theirs, okay? So what we see here is that Jesus Christ, right now Satan is a usurper. He's a squatter. But the rightful owner, the rightful ruler of the universe is Jesus Christ, okay? So what we see here 
is that Christ is going to come and redeem this earth. Uh, praise the living God. All right. Uh, verse 2. We're back in Revelation 5 now. Verse 2. I saw a strong angel. We're not told who he is, so there's no need for me to speculate as to who he was. But he's strong, and he has a loud voice. This is the quietest world you'll ever live in. But he's got a loud voice, and I guess so, because he's going to issue a question that's going to reverberate throughout the, the universe. Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals? Who's worthy? That's the question. Verse 3 gives us the answer. No man in heaven nor in earth neither under the earth was able to open the book or even to look on it. This is what we call a merism. Uh, it, 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 goes the out, the, it gives you the two outer borders and everything in between is encompassed there. Kind of like uh, God knows my down-sitting and my uprising and all, all times in between. All right, verse 4. John wept uh, bitterly. Same verb that Peter wept when he denied the Lord. He wept bitterly because no man was found worthy to, to read the book. Now, as far as I know, these are the only tears we see in heaven. I think Eric clapped and asked if there was tears in heaven, and apparently there are because John, John's crying. John is weeping much because no man was found worthy. Now, that begs the question, why is John sobbing uncontrollably? And there's emphasis on the fact that it's loud. He's wailing in the Greek. Um, let's go to slide number two. John is weeping because if the, if the seals are not opened, things are forever broken, guys. This world is broken. And it will remain broken until those seals are opened. The United Nations is not going to fix the world. The donkeys and the elephants are not going to fix the world. Now, I know who I'm voting for, but, but I don't hold out any hope that any human being is going to fix the world. Jesus Christ is going to fix the world. And I'm going to tell you what, if we don't get on our knees before God, it doesn't matter who's in the White House. We, we're in trouble, trouble, trouble. I believe that with all my heart. Now, uh, who is currently running the show? Well, God's on the throne. It's God's world. But who's running the show? Satan is. That's why you look at the news and there's such chaos. It's because Satan's, he's ruling this thing. Go with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1. Adam, I'll put you to work again. If that's okay. You just take whatever I paid you last time and multiply it by two. <laughs> Genesis 1, and I want you, we should have no trouble finding that, by the way, guys. So if I see you, you know, really troubled about where's Genesis, we need to have a serious talk. Genesis 1, uh, would you read for me 27 and 28? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, his, he created them. 
Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God gave Adam dominion. He made Adam the king of the world. Now when Noah comes off the ark, God makes a similar promise to him, but he he leaves out that part about ruling over the world, about having dominion. You know why? Because man had lost it at that point. And we're going to see that in just a moment. Uh, Satan is called in Job, uh, Job 1, 7 uh, and 2, 2, talks about Satan going to and fro throughout the earth. That's what he does. I can look around and see he's still doing that. Amen, right? Go with me to Luke chapter 4. I want you to see something. While you're turning there, John 12, 31 John 14, 30, and 16, 11, Jesus calls Satan the prince of this world. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul calls him the God of this present age or present world. Ephesians 2, Paul calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. 1 John 4, 4, and 1 John 5, 19 says that the whole world lies in wickedness in the Greek. The whole world lies in the lap of the evil one, the wicked one. That's why we're told not to love the world, neither the things that are in the world. And the world here is not the earth, but the world system. All right, Luke chapter 4. This is the temptation uh, that Satan offers Jesus. Uh, Adam, would you read verses 5 through 7? Luke 4, 5 through 7. Then the devil, taking him up on the high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their... Excuse me, give you and their glory for this has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be with yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Now, Jesus did not dispute what Satan said. He didn't say, No, you don't have the power to give that to me, because it's a temptation after all. Who handed it over to Satan? Adam, the Greek word is paradidomi. It means handed over. When Adam sinned, he handed over control of the earth. All right, let's go to the next slide. Adam, you want to read that one for us? Just read it off the, the screen there. Romans 8, 19 through 23. Yeah. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subject the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption and the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and traveleth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit and the redemption of our body. All right, thank you. All of creation is waiting for this moment. Uh, we, we often talk to people and they say, well, why does God allow uh, this, this uh, that, or the other? Uh, cancer, natural disasters, I mean, all of those things are terrible. Death. And my answer is that God didn't make it that way. In Genesis 1 and 2, you see how God intended for the world to be. And then when you get to Revelation, the end of the book, you figure out, uh, you figure out how God's going to put it back right again. 
So refer somebody to the first two or the last two chapters of the Bible. That's how God intended it to be. All right. Let's go back to Revelation now. Now, verse 5, one of the elders says, Stop weeping. It's in the imperative in the Greek. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed. The Greek word is nikao. It means to conquer, to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Let's go to the next slide. Now, Jesus is the only candidate to open the scrolls. He is the near kinsman redeemer. Uh, he had to be a kinsman. So he had to be a, a descend, he had to be a, a human. Hebrews 2.16. He didn't come as an angel. He had to be able. That's where the virgin birth comes in. Isaiah 7 talks about uh, a virgin shall conceive. Matthew 1.23. Same thing. 2 Corinthians 5. Um, let's, go, let's go there. Let's look at that. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He had to be sinless. And while we're turning there, Hebrews 4, 15 says that Christ was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Adam, you want to read that one? For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen. All right, let's go to the next slide. We see that Christ is the Lion of Judah. He's got the credentials. At the end of Genesis, in the 49th chapter, Jacob is blessing the 12 sons of Israel. And... Uh, Let's read verses 9 and 10. Adam, you want to read that for us? You're getting a workout today, brother. It's all good. <laughs> Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped up down. He crouched as a lion and as an old lion who had, shall rouse him up. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come and unto him shall the gathering of his people be. All right. Stay, go ahead and stay standing there, brother. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I'm not trying to be bossy. Uh, so the Messiah had to be from the tribe of Judah. And I could go into the reasons for that. Reuben forfeited the firstborn, but I'm not getting into all that right now. But the, the, he had to be from the tribe of Judah. And he also had to be from the family of David. So would you read Isaiah 11, uh, 1 and then 11, 10 there, just off the board there. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And in the day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand as a sign of the people. It shall sign, it shall be the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. All right. So this is what the Jewish people were looking for. They were looking for a, a lion from the tribe of uh, Judah and from the household of David. That's what they were looking for. But the reason they missed him is because they weren't looking for the lamb. Go with me to the next slide. Genesis 22, uh, Abraham offers Isaac. Isaac says, where's the burnt offering? 
And God and Abraham says, God will provide himself a lamb. Isaiah 53, 7 talks about that Christ the Messiah would be like a lamb led to the slaughter. He would not open his mouth. That's why he was silent before Pilate. John 1, 29. One of my favorite things that John the Baptist said. He said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now this word lamb is the Greek word arneon and it's diminutive. It means little lamb. You know. They were looking for the lion. They were looking for the king like David, but they missed the lamb. But the lamb is the one who conquered. By means of death, this lamb overcame and now is seated at the right hand of the Father, God Almighty. Now, John says that when he sees this lamb, he's the lamb that's been slain. That's the cross. And it says that he still, he, he, he looked as if he had been slain. But he's standing. That means this lamb has been resurrected. He's not dead anymore. He's not dead. He's alive forevermore. Now, why does John see him as a lamb that's been slain? Well, it's because even now, today, he bears the marks of his crucifixion. We'll forever look at him and see the prints in his hands, the wound, maybe the wound in his side, I don't know. But we'll look on him. And, we, and all we'll be able to say is, thank God, worthy is the lamb. I'm here because of the lamb. I'm, I'm worthy because of the lamb. He has made me worthy to be here. I have no worthiness of myself. Now, this is an apocalyptic vision. This lamb has seven horns. Throughout the Bible, the horn is an idiom for power. And seven is a number of completion. He also has seven eyes. A symbol of intelligence. Look, you can go to Zechariah 3 for a reference there. And these eyes are sent forth into all the earth. So in this lamb, we have all the three attributes of deity, don't we? We have omnipotence. What does that mean? Um, say it, Sherry. You, you had all-powerful, omnipotent. He's omniscient. What does that mean? That's omnipresent. What's omnipresent? <laughs> What's omniscient? Omniscient means he knows all things. He's aware of all things. These seven eyes speak of the intelligence. The seven horns speak of the power. The fact that they're sent forth into all the earth is the omnipresence of God. Christ, this lamb, uh, possesses all the attributes of deity. Let's go to the next slide. No, back up, I'm sorry. Let's, let's leave it there for a minute. Now, in verse 7, he comes and takes the book. This is right out of the book of Daniel. Go with me to Daniel. I didn't plan to do this, but go with me to Daniel 7. Go with me to Daniel 7. You can find Daniel, if you can find Isaiah, then the next one over is Jeremiah, then Ezekiel, and then Daniel. Go to Daniel 7. And I want you to see this scene. 
And Adam, if you will read, this is Daniel's vision. Now, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream uh, in chapter 2, but this is Daniel's dream in chapter 7. Um, so, Adam, if you would read verses 9 through 14. Daniel 7, 9 through 14. I watched till thrones were put into place and the ancient days were seated. His garment was white as snow and his hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame and its wheels a burning fire. A fiery steam issued and came forth from before him and thousands and thousands ministered to him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near to before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Praise God. This is what's going on here. Do you notice when, when Adam read verse 9, if you haven't turned away from there, Daniel beheld and he saw something. Uh, the King James says cast down, but really put into place is what it should, should read. What does he see? Throne, plural, right? Not a throne, but thrones. Does he see anybody sitting on these thrones? He doesn't, does he? Now, later on in this passage, you're going to see the Ancient of Days, who's the Father sitting on the throne, and you're going to see the Son of Man coming to receive the kingdom from him, or we should say taking the scroll from the right hand of the, the one who sits on the throne. But there's thrones here, but nobody's occupying them. wonder why that is. I believe these are the 24 elders' thrones. That was not revealed in the Old Testament. And that's why you see thrones, but nobody's sitting on them yet. Daniel didn't have that, uh, that vision. All right, let's go back to uh, Revelation. Christ takes the book. And at this point, all of heaven rejoices. Because <laughs> the one who's worthy has taken the, the book. He's taken possession of the book. And when he took the book, it says the four living creatures, uh, the King James says beast, but it's the Greek word zoan, means living creature, it's not an animal. Um, and four and twenty elders fall down before the lamb. And uh, you can't tell it in English, but in Greek, the, uh, the, the elders here, they have harps, and they have golden vials, full of odors, which are the what? Prayers of saints. Does God answer prayer? You better believe it. Something interesting here, this dawned on me yesterday. Never had dawned on me before. Right now, Christ is at the right hand of the Father, and He is our high priest. But He has now transitioned from a priestly function to a kingly function. And that's the indication to us that something has changed. Okay? And notice the, the elders. Right now, how many mediators are there between God and man? Just one, right? Jesus Christ. Because he's the high priest. 
But if you notice the elders in verse 8, they're doing priestly functions. You see that? They've got the prayers of the saints in these bowls here. So what has happened? The elders are not the high priest, but now they've transitioned into their priestly role. Let's go to the next slide. Now this idea of the prayers of saints being like incense comes right out of the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 141, David says, Let my prayer come before, before you as what? Incense. And the lifting up of my hands is the evening sacrifice. Now in Luke 1.10, Zechariah is in the temple and Gabriel appears to him. But notice it says in verse 10, The whole multitude were praying without what time? At the time of what? Incense. They understood this as an idiom uh, for prayer. What, what are those prayers contain? Well, I don't know all of them. But I know one that we've been praying for about 2,000 years now. It goes a little something like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as in heaven. This prayer is being answered, folks. Somehow, some way, God uses all of our prayers to bring the consummation of history. So should you be praying? Absolutely. Because God is hearing. He's listening. Now in verse 9, these elders sing a song. And I want you to notice two things about this, this, uh, this song. Well, first of all, let's look at the content. They sing, say, you're worthy, God. You're worthy, Jesus, because you died for me. And you have redeemed us. Now, the King James and the New King James translate that as us. The NASB and the NIV translate it as the people or them. I'm going to tell you, the majority of the, comp the, majority of the manuscripts that are in existence say us. That is the proper, there's no reason to translate it in, in any other way. Um, and I'm not bashing any other translation. But the King James and the New, New King James translate that as us. And that is what the majority of the oldest, not the oldest, but the majority of the manuscripts say. And you can go all the way back to the Latin Vulgate around the 4th century. And they're all going to say that. I spent all Wednesday night talking about that. So I'm not going to go over it again. But uh, these, el and that tells us the identity of the elders. You want to know who they are? They're a group of redeemed people. It's not the angels. The angels desire to look into the things that we experience. They don't know what it is to be redeemed. Only the church knows what it is to be redeemed. And they're singing that song. And you redeemed us to God out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And you've made us priests unto our God. And we shall reign on the earth. I want you to notice something. In heaven, there's two things that they're not embarrassed to sing about. The cross and the blood. There are some denominations years ago, they said we want to remove all that cross and all that blood language from the hymn books. Let me tell you that, you take the cross and the blood away, you don't have a gospel, my friend. You're lost. In heaven, they're singing about the cross 
and the blood. They're not ashamed to sing about it. So why should I be ashamed to sing about it down here? Right? Verse 11, he said, I beheld, and uh, there were a myriad of angels. The, uh, the idea here of uh, 10,000 times 10,000, that's just an, uh, again, that's a, a way of just expressing how, you know, the Bible says that the angels are innumerable. They're innumerable. <clears throat> Something else, um, not, only, not only have the, uh, the elders, not, not only are they in heaven now doing priestly function, but the angels are here. In chapter 7, you'll read all the angels are there. Right now, where are the angels? They're here among us, aren't they? They're in our worship service. They're ministering spirits sent forth to minister to, to those who are the heirs of salvation. So why are the angels all congregated in heaven now? Because we're there. Thank you, Sister Judy. You got one right today. That's right. You were real close on that other one. It's like my, my, uh, my economics professor, her name was Dr. Kozak. Some of you may remember her from uh, Wingate University. And she, she had this accent, you know, and she called me Haney. And, and she would always say, Haney, right track, wrong train. <laughs> so Judy, you, had, you were on the right track, just the wrong train before. But uh, anyway. Well, I just had some PTSD thinking about that. Uh, <laughs> All right. Verse 12, <laughs> saying with a loud voice. They're not whispering in heaven. You better be quiet. You better not say anything. You better be quiet. You might wake God up, right? Because he's, he, he, he's maybe he's taking a nap. God is alive, folks. The Bible says God neither slumbers nor sleeps. Now we do, but he doesn't. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb. Are you seeing a theme here? <laughs> worthy is the lamb to receive seven things. Let's go to the next slide. Seven things. Number one, power. Matthew 28, Jesus said, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. You don't need to look anywhere else, guys. Number two, riches. 2 Corinthians 8 says, that Christ was rich, but he became poor for our sakes, that we, through his poverty, might be rich. Number three, wisdom. Christ is the wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians 1, 24. Strength, Luke eleven twenty two, talks about the strength of the Lord. Glory, John 1, 11 says, we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. John 2, 11 talks about the miracle of the water into wine, and Christ manifested his glory. In John 17, Christ prays to the Father. He says, restore me into the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world. And may I tell you, he's done that. And that's where he is right now. And blessing. Psalm 103 says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all of his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities? Who healeth all thy diseases? I could go on and on, but I won't. Praise be unto God. Verse 13, and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and in the sea. And again, this is a merism. This is everybody, everything that hath breath. Heard I sing blessing and honor and glory and power 
unto the to him who sits on the throne and unto who? Well, that's interesting, isn't it? So who's, who's the one sitting on the throne? God, right? The Father. And all of heaven, everything on the earth and everything under the earth is worshiping the one who sits on the throne but notice it didn't stop there. That same praise that's directed to the Father is also directed unto the Lamb. Let me use my algebra that I I have never used algebra ever since high school. Now I know I think Willie said he had used it a time or two, but I have never used algebra. And uh, I did like algebra too so much I took it twice in school. But uh, you've heard that story, so I won't get into it. But if I do the equation just right, it means that the one who's sitting on the throne receiving worship and the lamb are equal in deity and glory. Translated, Jesus Christ is as much God as the Father is. That's rich theology, folks. And by the way, in this one chapter, you've got the Father and the Son and the seven spirits of God which represent the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. So you've got the Trinity here in this one chapter. You say, well, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Well, ice cream's not in the Bible either, but I like it. <laughs> but the concept of the Trinity is there, right? The word rapture is not in the English Bible, but the concept is there. Okay. Verse 14, you thought you'd never get here. And the four beasts, or living creatures, said what? Amen. Amen, Amen is not just a churchy word. It's a heavenly word. So I think that y'all ought to exercise that privilege and honor every time I make a good point in a sermon. <laughs> you need to get in. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You need to get into practice. <laughs> well, I didn't open up a can of worms that night. <laughs> Amen. Right. Oh, boy. It just, this could just go on and on. <clears throat> And the four and twenty elders fell down. Moving on. The four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Let's go to the last slide. You like it when I say that. Music to your ears. So here's something to ponder as we consider this. <laughs> Nobody's happier than my wife over there. She burst into spontaneous praise just now. That's more joy than I've seen the whole time I've been preaching, dear. Yes. But here's something, this is all, in all sincerity, all seriousness, guys. In light of what we've talked about today, let's ponder this question. Number one, have you received Jesus as, as the Lord and the God of your life? Because if you haven't, time is running out. The window of opportunity is narrowing. And one day, Paul says in Philippians, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and everything in heaven and everything on the earth and everything under the earth He's going to confess that Jesus is Lord. So it's not a question of if, but when. Okay, have you done that? Praise God. If not, you don't have to leave here without making that decision. Number two, have you prayed for God's will to be done? Because God's got those prayers up in heaven, even now. Some of y'all have been praying for some stuff for a long time. Don't quit praying. God's listening. 
You know, God's answer is not always yes and no. Sometimes it's not now. Just a little bit later. You know, we've been praying for 2,000 years. Your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth. Well, guess what? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Have you prayed? Are you, are you living a, a life consistent with consistent prayer? Let me ask you this. Have you thanked God for what he did for you? Because throughout eternity, you're going to be doing that. And it won't be a, a chore. It won't be a struggle. When I look around me at all the, the glories of heaven, the splendor of it all, and I've got a robe, and I don't know if I'll have any crowns or not. I know I'll have one because I do love the Lord Jesus' coming, and I believe there's a crown for that. We can all get that crown, guys. Everybody can have the crown for loving his appearance. Paul talked about that. And if I have just one, and I'm not going to wear it with pride in his presence. I'm going to throw it down at his feet. But if I've just got that one crown, every time I look at him and I say, I'm here because of the lamb. I'm here because of the lamb. Not because of anything I've done. I'm here in spite of everything I've done. <laughs> I'm here. You see folks on the outside that don't, they're not part of the community of faith. They've got it all wrong. They think we Christians think we're perfect. Nothing could be farther from the truth. We know that we don't deserve anything except judgment. We know that we're only in heaven because of the glory of the Lamb. Have you thanked God for saving your soul? Also, have you praised God? Have you praised the Lord? I thought about having us do an exercise where we get low. Do you ever just get low in His presence? Sometimes I'm bad to pray when I'm driving, you know, which is not a bad thing. But sometimes I can get too casual in my prayer. I think every once in a while we just need to get low. We just need to prostrate ourselves or get down on our knees or sit on the floor or something just to say, God, you're big and I'm not. I, I'm humbling myself before you. And maybe lift up your hands like David said. Let my prayer come, like, be like incense. Let the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Have you... Just in your private time, do you ever just get low with God? Because he's listening, and he wants you to pray. He wants to spend time with you. But also corporately, notice all these people are worshiping together. They're worshiping together. You know? Listen, folks, I understand there are people that their employer requires them to work on Sunday. There are some that have physical limitations. They're not able to get out. And some of them would love to be here if they could. I promise you that. There are some, even in our local church, that if they were able to be here today, they would love to be here, but they just are physically not able to come and be here. But for the life of me, I don't understand Christians who don't have any desire to be with other Christians. Okay? Because there are no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. And in heaven, you don't have one guy over here doing his thing and another guy over here doing his thing, and another guy over here doing his thing, we're all worshiping together in unison, in one accord. Heaven's in one accord, in one mind. And I wonder what would happen if we could get there, church. If we could come here with one accord, one mind, one heart, and one agenda, and that only agenda is to worship God and to seek His glory and His kingdom. Have you offered up praise to him today? 
If not, today would be a great day to start. Would you stand? They've sang about it. I've preached about it. Jesus Christ died in your place. The lamb was slain so that you and I could be forgiven of every sin and be in the presence of God. You say, well, Henry, what do I have to do? It's real simple. Don't try to fix yourself. You're, you're beyond fixing. That's why Jesus died. It's not about being a good person. It's not about good works. Christ died for your sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day. He triumphed. He overcame the world. And guess what? Jesus said that I have overcome the world. And if, he, if you believe in him, you're an overcomer too. You're an overcomer. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, it's not even about walking the aisle. You can come walk the aisle and still be lost. It's not about raising your hand or, or shaking the preacher's hand. Any of that stuff. It's a personal thing between you and the Lord Jesus Christ where you just simply say, God, I repent. I changed my mind. I, I repent of my sin. I admit to you that I've sinned against you. I'm asking you to forgive me right now. I receive your free grace. By faith, I ask Jesus Christ to be my Lord and my Savior. Make me a new creation, born again. And if you pray that prayer and you're sincere about it, you don't have to get all the words just right, but if you're sincere in your heart, God will not turn you away. He will save you. He's gone to great lengths to show you how much He loves you, right? And we'll praise Him forever. Maybe you're a believer here today and you've just kind of been going through life just humdrum why not renew your commitment to the Lord today why not say worthy is the lamb Jesus died for me I'm going to live for him would you come